Bless the Lord. My name is Apostle Dr. Antonio E. Wright, Senior Pastor and Founder of Kingdom Expectations. You are now preparing to listen to Kingdom Expectation Ministries podcast. We pray that you be blessed, encouraged, and enriched as you listen to the Word of God. But I want to I want to share something <clears throat> to add on with this, if you will. I was I was talking with my wife. Uh, earlier this week, and you know, I'm I'm constantly reading and, and studying and doing things, and so I was actually taking more, uh, 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 taking more sense of the word we call of the verbiage that in the Bible is called the Torah, or when people call the Bible the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we call it the Torah, or we call it the Law. Uh, so I want to change something or share something to make you think of this particular word a little bit differently, especially when it comes to things of the kingdom. Now, you know, we've been on this journey for the past several years, uh, seven, eight, nine years, if you will, in dealing with seeking first the kingdom of God. And that's all, that's the only thing that Jesus preached was the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, understanding when you're teaching, preaching, ministering, living out the kingdom life, that those are methods. So God is actually teaching us methods and principles on how to have access to the things that he's given us as far as being kingdom citizens. He's given us access to the things that Adam lost. And Adam did not lose a religion. Uh, he didn't lose a doctrine. Uh, he didn't lose anything other than his uh, kingdom. He lost a kingdom. He lost his rights to have access to the kingdom of God and to make sure that the kingdom of God was representing here on the earth. And he lost access to all of those promises. He lost access to all of those things. So when we look at that, if we look at the word Torah, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my notes as close as I possibly can. Uh, uh, so I'm, 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 I'm still on the 10 qualities of kingdom faith, but I wanna share this with you, I guess maybe to give this a, a tad bit more credence, if you will. Uh, so in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Of course, that would be translated Torah. Uh, and in his law, or in his Torah, he meditates day and night. When he does that, he said, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Hey, June, uh, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I don't want to get into the, the breaking down of all the words. I want to deal with, with Torah. When we look at the verb of the word Torah, Torah itself is synonymous with life, abundance, blessing, and prosperity. Be mindful of that. It is synonymous with life, abundance, prosperity, and blessing. So here's what Torah does. Of course, we understand that Torah refers to the first five books of Moses, and you'll see how this ties in tonight. Uh, it normally it refers to the first five books of Moses, or the, what we would consider to be called the Pentateuch, uh, to my Hebrew friends. Uh, so contrary to what we call popular opinion, the word Torah does not actually mean law. Uh, and I, I'm sharing that because what happens is I think what personal, I think one of the issues that happens in the kingdom or one of the issues that happen in churches, we've uh, eliminated, we've eliminated reading the Torah, if you will, reading of the Old Testament, and we just talk about being under grace, but you really don't comprehend what grace is until you understand what 
the what the Torah was teaching. And, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit further. So when we look at the word Torah that we thought meant the law, the word Torah actually means teaching or instructions, teaching or instructions. Uh, the root uh, of for Torah is Yarah. Yarah means to cast or to shoot like an arrow. So you're casting something or you're shooting something like an arrow. The implication is that you're attempting to hit a target or meet a goal. So basically the word Torah itself often carries the connotation of pointing or showing someone the way. Be mindful of that part of pointing or showing someone the way. Uh, so basically the Torah, what we say is the law is actually the instruction of God who is trying to point to us the way. God love that right, see I could get happy right there. So the Torah is literally pointing the way, giving us the instructions of God, if you will. So basically the Torah itself signifies God's instructions. So you say, well now what does that have to do and how does that deal with uh, what we're dealing with tonight as far as the essential qualities of kingdom faith? Well, it's a lot because these qualities, these things that God desires us to have is him pointing us into the way or, or instructing us and pointing the way to us to have the fullness of life, if you will, to have the, the, the blessings, the abundance, the prosperity of life and things that we should, we should have access to. But it takes the currents of the kingdom, which is faith, and it takes us understanding the instructions of God because seeking, after the, seeking first the kingdom is seeking after the methods of God of uh, the principles of God that he gave us the Bible as a warranty to let us know that these things have already been sanctioned for us, if you will. Uh, so in, in looking at this, the teaching which God gave Moses is often called the Torah of Moses, even though Moses uh, did not author or authorize the Torah, he only received it, that which was dictated from God, and he taught that to the people. So again, Torah is most often associated with the five books of Moses, but however, the word Torah is actually used, if you will, to signify God's instruction through the Hebrew scriptures, including the Psalms and the prophets. So if we understand that, if we really get into that, so if we look at that, then that means that all of his word is his Torah or all of his word is his teaching. Even the New Testament, if you will, the New Testament is part of his Torah to his people. So again, a lot of times we try to say, well, that's the law, but now it's not necessarily what we would consider to be the law. It is God pointing the way. If you think of it like that, it is God pointing the way. It is God giving instruction. It is God giving us the methodology that we need to have full access to the kingdom of God. And thus all he's trying to do is point us toward the way, the right way, the perfect way. And we have to be mindful of the fact that the New Testament itself is also a part of that. So, so I'm gonna share this and then I'm gonna get out of here. So it's kind of like this. Uh, Christians typically refer to the Torah as the law as if it was something bad. Uh, but that, that's, that's uh, shall we say, the understanding is now due to the English translations of scripture. But before Jesus, there were 70 scribes or 70 rabbis that translated the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek language, which resulted into our Septuagint. So the Hebrew Torah was translated into the Greek with the word nomos, N-O-M-O-S. Now nomos, a nomos in the Greek uh, is used in the Greek culture to mean an unalterable law. And that's where we get the word law from. An unalterable law or a decree. In other words, meaning that what God wrote 
what he gave Moses to teach, to point us into way, in the way could not be altered. It could not be changed. It was a decree. Now remember, once the king made a decree, it was gold. It couldn't be changed. And you can always hear me change interchangeably, God and king. I'm still talking about the Lord. So when we follow in this particular tradition, uh, the Greek New Testament used nomos to signify the Torah. Uh, so even in the Greek New Testament, when it was saying Torah, or they called it an unalterable law, they were literally speaking of the teaching of the way of the pointing to the things of God. So technically, if we understand what the Greek is trying to tell us is the fact that the Torah cannot be altered. It is literally regarded as law. But what we have to comprehend is God is trying to point the way to us. And I said all that tonight so you can understand when you're seeking the kingdom of God, the methods, the principles of God, he's literally trying to point you in the way. He's literally trying to give you instructions on how to have full access to the things of the kingdom, the things that he has promised for you, the things that he has set out, laid aside for you. Remember, uh, before the king has a child, son, daughter, whatever the case might be, they've already set up an inheritance for that child. They've already set up gifts for that child. Now, remember, before uh, Adam was created, the earth was already formed. The earth had already had his seven days of this and, and or six days, and all these things were created. But nothing could move until there was a manager. In other words, nothing could move until his son Adam was created. And when he created Adam, he told Adam to have authority, which means to be productive uh, uh, and to replenish <laughs> and to subdue and to have dominion. And those are the things that he gave us. So once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, he then transfers back to us that thing that he gave us in the beginning, the method of the principles, the methodology, if you will, the principles pointing us to the way of how we can walk full access into the things of the kingdom of God. And so tonight, just very briefly, I don't want to go too much further into that, them notes, uh, just very briefly, I want to deal with uh, what we would consider to be at least five, I'm not going to hold you too long, at least five of these particular uh, 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 qualities, if you will. Now remember, kingdom faith is the currency of the kingdom. Nothing can move. You don't have access to anything unless you have the faith of God. Excuse me, please. Amen, amen, amen. So let's 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 look at this. I'm going to brief, briefly discuss this. And I'm going to be coming out of the book of Job, the book of Hebrews, and Simon Peter. So let's look at number one. Number one, the first thing we got to be mindful of is that kingdom faith is steadfast. It's steadfast. It's, it's stable uh, in storms. It, it doesn't move. Uh, so in, in, in dealing with that kind of faith, one of the poster childs, or poster children, if you will, of that kind of faith is my buddy Job. When Satan accused Job of trusting God for selfish reasons, God allowed Satan to test Job's faith by stripping away everything he had. Everything he had. Now, you got to be mindful of this. The Bible does tell us that the enemy, Satan himself, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, is the accuser of the brethren. And he's always going before the throne of God, accusing the brethren for something. And you have to understand, as I get into this, when, when, the, when the enemy attacks us, remember, He's not attacking us to get us. He's attacking us to get our currency. Amen, somebody. He's attacking us to get our faith. He's attacking us to build up doubt, to build up frustration, to build up animosity, to build up lackadaisicalness, laziness, to, just to build up stuff to cause us to not believe God. He wants our faith. And so this is what he, he, he said about Job. 
He said, you know, Job is only worshiping you because remember Job did his sacrifices uh, every day he was doing sacrifices to the Lord. And, and see, you know, people, they tickle me. They say, well, you always talking about money. I said, have you read your Bible? Because Job was sacrificing to the Lord daily and God was just blessing him like crazy. During, in his particular season, in his particular time, he was one of the richest men in his culture. He was known throughout the land because of his substance. But he kept giving, he kept giving, he kept giving, he kept giving. You know, there's a particular scripture uh, 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 and I can't get into it now, so I'm gonna keep going. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, Job lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, uh, but he never lost his faith in God. He lost everything, but check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, he never lost uh, his faith in God, but yet he lost everything that he had. Uh, he basically wanted to question God uh, as the reason for his suffering, as some of us do, but he never turned his back on God. Uh, even when Job's three friends, and you know, you know we all have those friends uh, they were assuming that Job's troubles was the evidence of God's judgment against him. That's what they assumed. And so they basically insisted to Job that he confess his sins and God might kind of like lighten the load. But Job understood that that was not the reason that he was going through these things, nor was he about to think about losing his faith in God. In Job chapter 27, verses 2 through 6, again, this is the first kingdom, uh, uh, one of the first qualities of kingdom faith is being steadfast and stable in storms. We've all gone through them. In Job 27, verses 2 through 6, it reads, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste bitterness of soul, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you, talking about to his friends, I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness, that means his right standing with God, and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Amen, somebody. Uh, uh, Job did not understand why he was suffering, nor did he understand why God allowed it. But in the midst of the storm, he did keep believing uh, that God was always on his side, if you will. He did keep believing uh, that the way he had always lived with truthfulness, integrity, and faithfulness, moral behavior, and a clear conscience is the way he was going to continue to live. We have to look at the fact that Job's faith was anchored in the living God, the same way place our faith should be. Job basically endured uh, his period of testing without wavering. The question would be, can you endure your test without wavering, without doubting God? Move on, no mind. In good times as well as bad, God, Job trusted God. When he was challenged about his faith in the wake of losing everything, Job had countered this statement in Job 2.10, the A part. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? It's amazing how we always want the good from God, but it's how amazing it is in life when a little trouble comes our way, we then turn our back on God and say there is no God. Amen, somebody. Uh, so we have to understand, like the house the Bible speaks about being built on the rock, that withstands the wind and the rain. That's in Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Kingdom faith or the currents of the kingdom proves its foundation in an unshakable God by remaining steadfast and stable through all the storms of life. Amen. So let's go to point number two. Uh, and, and dealing with point number two, we also have to understand that our faith is in a God who has what we would consider to be omniscient knowledge, meaning just all knowing, all everything, not in our limited knowledge. And our limited knowledge will mess us up. You say, well, now why is this a quality of faith? 
because sometimes we think that we know everything that we should do and we just go ahead on and do it, not asking God which way we should go so he can take us through it. Sometimes we think that we're just high and mighty, if you will, in my notes. The very existence, of course, of what we call the mysteries of life. If we say there's a mystery of life, then that would also basically prove that our knowledge is very limited. Amen. Uh, so very often we think or we act or we talk as if we know everything, everything. And, you know, I, I, when I go to the barbershop, I call them them uh, 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 the chair, the barber chair coaches. You know, because they analyze the football game, the baseball game, the basketball game, and they always want to tell you what they would have done in that situation. But yet they got a pair of clippers in their hand. Amen, somebody. And you just have to be careful of that. So anyway, there's this group, that, and some of us are in that, that no matter what the circumstance, we tend to regard whatever we see with our eyes or perceive with our minds to be the full truth of the matter. We don't, we don't pay attention and take time to pray or ask God for any direction. We just think because we see it, we don't been there before, that's what's going on again. Kingdom faith accepts with humility the reality of our limited knowledge. And it confidently leaves the rest of everything to God. Kingdom faith sets back and says, look, basically this, as I go back to my notes, basically says this, God said it, that settles it, I believe it, I'm good. Simple as that, because God is all-knowing. Uh, and we have to be mindful of that. So what happened in this particular case in Job, Job needed to be reminded of the fact that like most of us, Job got caught up in his pain and thought, he kind of thought that he knew more about the situation than God did. Yeah, yeah. So basically we have it in, in wait, Job chapter 38 verses one through seven, we have God basically putting Job in check, if you will. God says, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Job 40, verses 1 through 2. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. So see, Job couldn't, couldn't answer that. Not only couldn't Job answer, we can't answer it either. God already knows infinitely more than any of us will ever know, literally. And he's under no obligation. I want to say this loud and clear. He's under no obligation to explain himself or his actions to any of us. He's not an obligation. You know, people tell me, well, I got a, me and God got a thing together and whatever I ask God, he gonna tell me, that's the lie. That's, you know, I remember this, I'm case, almost sick, side part. Somebody told my wife one time that God was gonna do exactly what they asked him to do. And my wife said, who are you? Because number one, people have their free will. And number two, who are you to tell God what he should do? Did you get that holy? See, again, so he said, now what does that have to do with the currents of the kingdom? What does that have to do with qualities of kingdom faith? Qualities of kingdom faith is number one, you have to be steadfast and unmovable. You have to stand in the fire, stay in the fight, knowing God going to bring you out. Number two, you have to realize God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And, and there's some things you don't need to know, you just need to do. You just have to trust. That's the kingdom faith. So, so we have to be mindful of that. So, you know, we think about it, who's accountable to who? Are we accountable to God or God is accountable to us? Don't be sideways now. We're accountable to God. Simple as that. 
with kingdom faith, we have to understand with kingdom faith, we accepted our, 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 we accept what I would consider to be our limited knowledge. And not only do we accept our limited knowledge, but we're content to live with what we call life's mystery. We're, we're content to live with that. Why? Because we trust in a God who's omniscient. We trust in a God who's omnipotent, uh, all-knowing, all-powerful. We, we, we trust in a God who has a perfect plan for our lives. See, because he said in his word, this is the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of, of, of goodness and greatness, you know, things of that nature. I, I didn't want to get into that, so I'm going to keep going. So let's go to number three. I hope, I hope this is okay. I, I pray you guys are being blessed. So in number three, one of the other qualities of, uh, that are essential for, for kingdom faith is uh, faith beyond your own understanding. It kind of goes with the mission side, doesn't it? Faith beyond your own understanding. Why? Because our limited knowledge, there are some things that are and always will be beyond our understanding. Now, trust when I say that. I, I say that because I look at myself. Excuse me, my mouth is real dry. I look at myself. There's some things that God showed me in 1984. He showed me in 1984 when he first called me to ministry. I never forget that he called me as an apostle in 1984. I didn't know what an apostle was. He said, study. I went on a year of fasting and praying. Yeah, I just didn't even know what food was. Then he said, sit. I said, huh? He said, sit. I came to Virginia in 1985. He says, I'm sending you to Virginia to establish a worldwide ministry. I said, okay, cool. Now sit. I sat. They said, who are you? Uh, Elder Wright, Minister Wright. What's, what's your five-fold ministry? It's not time yet. I sat from 85 to 92. In 1992, after starting the church in 1990, 1992, God said, now it's time. There's things that God showed me in 1984, 1992, that's just not coming to fruition in 2020. After almost losing everything I've had, 2020, God says, bam, now you're ready. It's beyond my understanding. You know, I go from being 24 to 60, and God said, let's go, now you're ready. That's beyond my understanding. But I still had to have faith. I had to have faith, number one. I had to be steadfast and unmovable. I had to have faith, number two. I had to realize he's our mission and our knowing. And I had to have faith, number three. What? Beyond my own understanding. I can't even comprehend it. Why? Because our human pride has a tendency of resisting and accepting the fact, which sometimes causes us to say and do some stupid things. Sometimes it does that. We take them detours God told us not to take. Some people believe that man themselves is the measure of all things and that nothing therefore is ultimately beyond his understanding or capability. Some people think that. They think that man is just the cat's meow. No, bro. No, you're sadly mistaken. God is. Our intellectual, scientific, and technological advances outstrip our moral conscience. And what that does periodically is lead us often to do something because we can without sufficiently dealing with the question of whether we should or not. We just think we can. I have people plenty of times, they come up to me after something has happened, didn't want to ask me for their opinion. Why you want my opinion now? You already did it. You don't need my opinion now. Well, what do you think God says about this? Well, you've already done it. Did you think about asking God before you move? Amen, somebody. I'm, I see y'all on the side. I'm trying to look focused, but amen, somebody. Let's look at Job chapter 42, verses one through six, if you will. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
Basically, Job is saying, look, I heard of you, and that's why I sacrificed. Check this out. He had never saw God. He heard about God, and he sacrificed to the God he heard about. But now he said, well, look, I kind of messed up because, you know, like now I see you. I should have never opened my mouth. I kind of messed up some things. Anybody ever been in that position? You know, when God done showed you he going to do something, you done stepped out and did something he told you not to do. And the grace of God brings you back and say, now you would have had it, but now we got to go back and do this again. I'm just trying to help somebody. So let's look at this. When Job saw the Lord, he, I want to get this. When Job saw the Lord with his own eyes, he immediately, he immediately saw himself as it really was. Nothing. And he responded to this revelation with abject humility, abject humility. Check this out. Here's what I understand. It makes no difference how many degrees I have. I want to get another one. That'll be my third doctor. That's just a degree of knowledge I've ascertained. I've yet not apprehended what God wants me to do. Because as I just told you, there's things he told me in 84 and 92. He's just not bringing to fruition in 2020. I don't care about no virus. I don't care about the stock. I don't care about the market, the economy. All I know is what God says. God said this is the year of pie, P-A-P-E. This is the year of the mouth. This is the season of declaration. Yeah, we got 2020 vision, but this is the season of declaration. 2020 just means I'm doubly blessed. This is the season of declaration. What you speak out of your mouth becomes manifest. Listen to the negativity that everybody's speaking, and you follow along speaking the same thing. You fail to realize the one who has all knowledge said to say this. He said, call those things would be not as though it were. So why are you calling the things the world say as if it was instead of calling the things that God says because you know it is because we're in a different kingdom? Amen to myself. Let's go. <laughs> so, you know, the prophet Isaiah had a similar experience in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. trying to ask people do y'all read that so so uh so so check this out it says that the train of the the train the train of his uh, uh see i don't lost where i'm reading at the train of his robe filled the temple so i was doing some studying because you got to understand how long the, the, the temple in the robe is so here's what i come to understand when i started studying anytime a king conquered another king they were sold that king's robe on that other king's train. So anytime he conquered another nation, they would take the robe of that nation and sew it on his train. So when it says his train filled the temple, they're just saying that he's king of king and lord of lords. So he's basically showing them all these dominions that he has conquered, amen, and brought under his subjection and under his rule. See, that, that took that scripture to a whole nother facet when I read that. I said, oh, my God, that's just amazing. It says, above him were seraphs, and each seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke, got emotional with it. Uh, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So just like the same thing that happened to Job, amen, the same thing that happened to Job had also happened to Isaiah. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he's like, oh my God, Jesus, woe unto me. I'm filthy, I'm wretched, I'm undone. I'm not even worthy. I don't even know why I'm seeing all this. Look at this, man. If we think about this, humility is the only appropriate response to a revelation of God in all his majesty. 
That's the only problem. I don't know nothing but Jesus Christ. I can say nothing but Jesus Christ. I have no opinion but Jesus Christ. I don't even want to know nothing but Jesus Christ because for Christ I live and Christ I die. That's just it. No alibi. So kingdom faith has to acknowledge and it not only has to acknowledge kingdom faith is willing to live with the fact that there are some things that we will never understand. But God understands it and that's enough. Amen. I'm going to try to get the fifth one in here. So let's go to number four. Uh, kingdom faith is rewarded after test. I'm only going to do five. There's 10 that I say, but I'm only going to do five. Uh, 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 kingdom faith is rewarded after the test. I need y'all to hear me out. Kingdom faith is rewarded after the test. So we started off tonight talking about the Torah. Uh, and we're not, you have to, you have to re listen to the video over again to understand the Torah because the Torah is not what we consider to be the law. Uh, even though in the Greek, it means an unalterable law, uh, but it's not law. It means uh, uh, teaching, instructing, pointing the way. And so the New Testament itself is the Torah because it's God pointing the way. And in dealing with God pointing the way, we're talking about the uh, what, what I consider uh, some qualities of kingdom faith. And I, I just chose 10 of them. Uh, and I'm going to do five tonight. The first is the kingdom faith has to be steadfast and stable in storms. The second one was kingdom faith is God's omniscient knowledge, not our limited knowledge. We have to be mindful of that because sometimes we get educated, get them government jobs, uh, start our own business or something, make a little bit of money. And we just want to be like uh, Oprah and just know everything and tell everybody what they should do on, on the news and stuff like that. And I wasn't trying to throw no shade at Oprah. Her name just popped out of my mouth first. But you know how we do. Once we get a little bit of head knowledge, we think we know everything. Amen. Uh, number three, kingdom faith is beyond our own understanding. So number four, kingdom faith is rewarded after test. Kingdom faith is rewarded after test. Uh, let's look at this. Job stood firm in his faith. Oh, this is a good one. Job stood firm in his faith and in the knowledge of his righteousness or right standing, not only in the face of his suffering, but also in the face of the accusations from his three friends. That was a hard one. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar attributed Job's trouble to God's disfavor toward him. You know, you got to watch them friends, man, because they always want to think and don't know what in the world's going on. Uh, because they misunderstood God, they also misrepresented God. Check this out. I need y'all to hear me. Because they misunderstood God, his three friends themselves misrepresented God. So in the end, God's going to vindicate Job, and then he called his three friends to account. Here's what he says in Job chapter 42, verses 7 through 9. After the Lord has said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job, the one that you just talked about, my servant Job, the one that you just downed and disrespected, my servant Job, the one that you misrepresented me to, my servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your father. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord accepted his prayer. So not only was Job right, not only was he right at his self-righteousness, his self-righteous friends was wrong, because Job was right. Remember, he said earlier when I was sharing about being steadfast, Job said, look, I don't care what you say. I don't care if you think or assume that all this has come upon me because my integrity towards God has been wanting, I'm going to still stand firm on this belief 
that I'm in righteousness and right standing with the things of God and that I'm going to lay my integrity on. I'm not going to go for it and believe what you said, nor is there anything that I have to justify by what you said. Hey, I heard something behind me. <laughs> Amen. So, 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 so in doing that, God now says, well, you know, that y'all misrepresented me. So Job was still right and his self-righteous spirits was wrong. God accepted Job's prayer on their behalf to forgive them for mis misrepresenting them and to accept their sacrifices as repentance. So God accepted Job's prayer, not theirs. They had to sacrifice to Job, but he accepted Job's prayer. Watch this now. Now, sometimes, sometimes we might think that was enough, but let's look at Job 42, 10 through 11. I love God. In Job 42, 10 through 11, it says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again. Do you pray for your friends? Do you pray for those that despitefully use you? Move on, Rip. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his, now watch this. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in this house. Now that's a lot of people only because the Bible speaks of how rich and well-known he was in that time frame. That was before he had the swords. It's, so here the scripture says, all his brothers, sisters, and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Isn't it so amazing? The Bible said, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, shaking together, pressed down and running over. Shall God cause men to give unto your bosom? Here Job had steadfast faith. Uh, and we understand number four, kingdom faith is rewarded after the test. After the test was over, God had the, his friends that misrepresented God came against Job lying. They sacrificed to Job. Job prayed for them. God blessed Job. Now he has all his friends come to Job and each one of his friends to include his brothers and sisters gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, but this is because Job's faith stood firm throughout the test. He now received God's reward at the end. Now let's think about this. He lost everything he had, but God restored to him twice as much. Huh? Everything he had. There's another scripture that says something, I'm going to paraphrase it. Uh, if anybody has lost uh, houses or land or uh, anything for the sake of the kingdom in this time, in this season, in this lifetime, God says, I give you back everything you lost and some. Y'all watching with me? And some. But he said that. So Job is proof of that. In other words, Job was blessed before the test, you know, before all this happened, but he was doubly blessed after the test. Here's what I want you to understand. Kingdom faith always brings rewards. Kingdom faith always brings, it always brings rewards. I'm going to go to the fifth one and I'm, I'm going to let you go tonight. I'm going to go to the fifth one. I'm going to not try to do all 10 of them. I'm going to do the fifth one and uh, we're going to say say la vie. Uh, number five, kingdom faith is rewarded by the king. I think I'm going to stop with that one. Let's see how we roll. Kingdom faith is rewarded by the king. So let's, let's review this real quick. Just real quick. Uh, kingdom faith is steadfast and stable in the storms. Kingdom faith is in God's omniscient knowledge, not our limited knowledge. Uh, kingdom faith is, is beyond our own understanding. Kingdom faith is rewarded after the test. I'm just trying to help three people. Now, number five, kingdom faith is rewarded by the king. Now, remember I told you earlier, it's interchangeable. When I say king, I'm talking about the father because he is the king and this is his kingdom. And we're ambassadors to his kingdom. You know what an ambassador has? Rights. You know, when they recognize somebody as an ambassador from another kingdom, they have the rights 
they have the right. So I have certain rights as an ambassador of the kingdom of God that, that I might not have in the United States of America, but I have those rights from the kingdom of God. And if I say what my king says, he'll make sure he protects me. Somebody help me. If I do what my king says, right, because this is the Torah, this is instruction, this is him pointing the way to me to give me access to the fulfilled fullness of the kingdom. So if I say what God says and I do what God does, why? Because as I said last week, it is his desire, his desire is for us to walk in the character of God. His whole foresight was for us to be little gods. Oh my God. Because the scripture says, I made them a little lower than the angels, but the original doesn't say angels. The original says, I made them a little bit lower than Elohim. Elohim is God. So God says, I made man just a little bit lower than me, but I've given him the authority through me. So everything that God says, I can say, and God will make manifest because I'm his ambassador. I'm sorry, I got carried away. So kingdom of faith is rewarded by the king. Amen. I just scanned it over here to see. Amen. 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 Uh, kingdom of faith is rewarded by the king. So if we look at that, let's look at the fact that everybody uh, that, that, that everybody uh, that rewarded Job, his rewards were literally coming directly from God. His rewards was coming directly from God through people. So in any kingdom, one of the functions of the king is to bestow good things on his people, especially rewards for faithful service. God rewards faithfulness, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, realizing that our labor is not in vain. Amen, somebody. Our labor is not in vain. God rewards faithful service. Every king rewards faithless. Ooh, got it. Ooh, Holy Spirit, something else. Ain't Let's go to the book of Ruth. What's my boy named Mordecai? An old boy wanted to kill Mordecai. But didn't the king remember that Mordecai gave him a warning sometime before that they wanted to ambush the king? So the king told the other dude, said, look, I need you to put this guy up on the horse and put on my robe and parade around the city. Well, old boy was mad because he was planning on killing him. He wanted to take this, the next place after the king. He was planning on killing him. But the king had to reward Mordecai for what he did. God will reward you for your steadfastness. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what kings do. So in Job's case, his reward showed not only his uh, uh, beneficence or, or his, his, his blessing or his, his finances, his glory. Uh, it, it basically also shows uh, his infinite resources because it's just mad, just fast. Uh, but it also shows that when God blesses faithfulness, he never uses a half measure. I just like, I just wanted to throw that in. It's never half. Let's look at Job chapter 42, verses 12 through 13, and then we're going to go to verses 15 through 17. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, that's 2,000, and, 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 and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. That's something that wasn't known to be done. After this, Job still lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. It did not say he was sick. It said he died old and full of years. Didn't say he was weeble. Didn't say he lost his sight. Just said he was old. That's how I want to be. I don't want to be feeble. Don't want to lose my sight. Don't want to have no heart problems. Well, I take my problems. I'm just saying. He was old and full of years. I keep telling you, we, well, you promised 70. No, that's y'all. The first one says 120. He promised me 120. Old and full of years. So let's look at another reason to remain faithful through the storm. 
if you give up and drop out in the midst of the test, then you'll miss out on the great rewards that follow. Let's consider Job's wife. This is an assumption I know. I could be stretching it, but I'm thinking about it. Let's look at Job's wife. In the beginning of Job's ordeal, right after he lost everything, his wife literally told him to curse God and die. Watch who you marry, baby. His wife literally told him to curse God and die. That's in Job chapter 2, verse 9, the B part. Now, Job rebuked her with the words, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? That's Job 2, 10, 8. After this, nothing more, literally, and I've researched it, there's nothing more heard about Job's wife. We can only assume, hate that because that three first three letters, but we can only assume that something happened to her. It is quite possible that she left Job because you don't hear about her nowhere else. If she left Job, let's look at this. Then she missed out on the abundance of blessing that came at the end. Not only did Job receive twice as much as he had in the beginning, he also had seven children to replace the ones who had died. So the thought is not because he had seven children and he ain't no spring chicken. It's the possibility implies that Job also got another wife, one whose faith was more in line with his than his first wife, and she done birthed him some more children. Hey, that's just an assumption, but that's where we go with it if you don't mind for the teaching on the night. Most of this, of course, as I said, is an assumption. But the point is that loss of faith forfeits later latter rewards. Your loss of faith will forfeit your latter rewards. The king himself always rewards generously, but he does not reward people that do not have faith. Just something that he does not do. Amen. So look, <laughs> I'm gonna do number six, and I'm gonna literally I'm gonna stop at six. I'm gonna stop at six. No, I'm not. I'm gonna stop now. I'm gonna stop at five. I just want to do five. I want you to think about it. I want you to marinate on them five. I got five more, but I want you to marinate on them five. What do they start off with? It tells us that kingdom faith is steadfast and stable in storms. Number one, kingdom faith is God's omniscient knowledge, not ours. Three, kingdom faith is beyond our own understanding. Four, it is rewarded after test, or kingdom faith is rewarded after test. Five, Kingdom faith is rewarded by the king. Bless the Lord. We pray that this broadcast has been a blessing to you. If so, please subscribe to Kingdom Expectations Podcast and also like us on our social media Facebook page at Kingdom Expectations. As always, stay blessed and be safe. God bless you.